Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Rowing Chat Podcast 2022. Believe it or not, I started doing this in 2013. I'm beginning to feel somewhat long in the tooth, which is good because it probably means I should be going around the block and inviting some of my early guests back again. I'm Rebecca Caro, and you can follow this podcast anywhere you get your podcasts online. Our website is rowing.chat. And when you get there, there are two things there. One is an immense archive of wonderful episodes and a very good search function. So if you're looking for something, you'll likely find it. And secondly is the rowing directory. It's on the main menu and it's a list of all of the people and places where we have found rowing businesses, whether they're selling boats or oars or coaching or gifts or 101 other things from vacations to I can't think you'll have a look, have to have a look and see. Oh, software, lots of software, lots of electronics. Have a look for yourself. I'm Rebecca Caro, and today I'm delighted to welcome to the Rowing Chat podcast, my guest, Matt Zatorski. Welcome. Thank you, Rebecca. I'm really excited to be here. Looking forward to it. So Matt and I uh, kind of met each other through a little Twitter exchange, which we'll, we'll leave. I think we, we won't go into the detail of that, will we, Matt? All good. Yeah, sounds good to me. We're living in the present. <laughs> Just introduce yourself and tell the listeners and me a little bit about you and your personal background in rowing. Sure. Uh, uh, my name is Matt Storsky, as Rebecca mentioned. Um, originally from the Chicagoland area, grew up rowing for Loyal Academy. was where the, the, the oar first met the water for me um, as a freshman in high school. Um, I liked it on the Lincoln Park Lagoon in 1998 uh, as a fun fact, also the place and time of uh, a most beautiful thing. So um, I get no credit, but um, it was something that um, it's, I bring that up just because it's uh, such a cool moment in rowing for us that we've got some really kind of vibrant leadership um, and people like Arshay Cooper, um, et cetera. But uh, it's really fun. And I, and I think that's why I think people are looking for kind of the chain this goes back to twitter thing a little bit but um so grew up rowing in chicago and then uh but not much else from an athletic competitive standpoint i rowed for a little bit in college wouldn't really count it as much um for a year at a club in notre dame but went on to read books and play music and do something different for a little while and came back to coaching actually while i was still in college so i started coaching as a junior and so to me it was i think i've spent way more time in, in the sport as a coach i was actually coaching basketball for years before i even started rowing so i think I view more of my pathway as a, as a coach and understanding of the sport as a coach. But um, so, yeah, um, I think uh, beyond that, uh, I started coaching uh, at Loyola and then moved on to Nutria High School in Chicago for, for the great four years early on in there, kind of. So I learned a lot from that experience, um, really great leadership in, in Rose Marchek there and uh, moved to Boston where I got to coach at Cambridge and Latin School, which is a public school in Cambridge. Really proud of, of that program where they've where they've gone and uh, founded the Institute for Rowing Leadership with Bruce Smith before heading out uh, to Seattle. Um, and so and we're now, Katie, my wife and I, we run uh, the Seattle Scholars, um, which is our current team. It's under the larger auspice of uh, our, our business, Long-Term Rower Development, um, LLC. But it's, yeah, so we're in the, I'm in the family business, small business uh, phase here. So it's learning all the time and, and, and all that valuable failure that we get to learn from. So, yeah, so that's where I think we that gets us up, up to date at the moment. So you're a rowing educator and a coach. 
And tell me a little bit about Seattle Scholars as a club organization. Sure. Um, you know, with Seattle Scholars, I think it really boils down to like basically three things for us. It's I just like to tell people we're uh, uh, process oriented, um, we're athlete centered and we're research based. So those kind of, kind of things that make us a little bit different. Um, uh, you know, we're, we're responding to more of what's in the research neurologically as opposed to what our coaches did. Uh, God bless them. They were they were amazing. Like I had really good coaches, actually, but uh, less tradition based that way. Um, all of our programming's athletes. So when I say athlete centered, it's at, each athlete comes to us with a set of goals that they're um, looking uh, to achieve, and, and we help them build a pathway. So each athlete has different goals. So I think with most teams, you have to have everybody get together in a room because we're all going to roll the eight eventually, and they have to come up with some more team-based goals. So as a result, each athlete's on a different schedule. So I have some athletes, you know, rowing on the water three days a week, on land twice. Um, you know, I have some athletes doing seven to nine sessions. I have some athletes doing one middle school, you know, in, in an amazing, so in a way doing things uh, that really meets them at that level. Um, and then process oriented, you know, like I said, the athletes have goals and they're generally competitive at, at the later points in their career. Um, but our goals remain kind of really so focused on the process. Uh, so how we build that for them, uh, as opposed to like just counting medals, we're more talking about, um, the quality of your habits and things so that we found that to be a kind of more consistent pathway to success so that we, we keep our focus and attention there. And did you start this club? Yeah. Um, I, I, well, I'll say we, um, you know, the people who are close to us know that Katie is the essential component. I think I, uh, as, as little, little voice in this moment, like get um, maybe a lot of the external credit than more than I deserve. Uh, but my wife, Katie's a all American at, at PLU, um, you know, an accomplished athlete on her own, but more so an accomplished business builder. And, uh, she's actually the principal of her own consultant firm. She does all the stuff for us for free. Um, so she's our biggest advantage, uh, <laughs> in-house, but I, but also like people also don't know that I, I actually view this as a, as a, as a woman led business. Cause I'm following the leadership of my wife. Right. So I don't think people see that. Um, but it's, I've, I've thrived in actually environments, um, uh, with women in power and I've actually learned a lot from them. Um, and so actually I'm and continuing to do so thriving that is. So, um, that's one thing I think people don't see, uh, that, uh, externally that people internally know very well, uh, <laughs> cause she mans the whole business. I don't look at emails. Um, I don't literally, I, you, you, you may have noticed that in our, in our, like those don't get answered too quickly. Um, but, uh, that means a hundred percent of my attention, literally a hundred percent is on the athletes and I don't have to think about those things. Um, and she's from whether it's insurance, OPAM, you know, all the things, uh, she's amazing. So, uh, that's probably our number one weapon that people don't secret weapon that people don't know about. Fantastic. I want to roll back to a little bit of your history. Now the Institute for Rowing Leadership is known as a CRI Boston program where, they provide a postgraduate um, uh, certificate in coaching. Is that correct? Rowing coaching. Correct. It's going to, it's actually in, in a great way of going through a bit of a transformation. Um, it, it got shelved during the pandemic for um, obvious reasons. Because uh, I'll tell you how it was set up. It was impossible within the, within the context. So uh, they, they're rebooting it soon. And I'm actually really excited about, they've got some really great people Um you know, I'll, I'll let them, I'll let them do their thing, but uh, I'm excited for actually what it's going to do next, but it's going to continue in that same vein of, you know, not only developing coaches, but people 
who who on purpose will use the word leadership for what they're looking to do. And to me, that's like change. You know, what are they what are they trying to do to to bring about change in our sport? And you were there at the naissance. How did it come about? <laughs> you know, desperation is the mother of all invention. You know, I okay. I needed a job. Uh, there was uh, the truth is Ethan Kern, the 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 director of coach education at Sierra Time, and Bruce Smith. They had some gears working their head. I don't think they knew what they wanted yet, but there was some problems that needed to be solved uh, specifically. Um, CRI would lose a lot of people quickly just because they were a great place for coaches to come initially and they would learn a lot and they'd become valuable and they would leave. So how do we get coaches to stay at CRI and um, some other kind of professional development questions in, with that they were talking a lot about. Um, Ethan had a really amazing, actually the root of everything I think is pizza and beer. He had a great weekly and I'm really actually very serious about this, that those pizza and beer weekly um, coaching uh, seminars that Ethan ran were kind of fundamental to that as a learning institution. Um, but I pitched Bruce a thing over the, over the summer and he said, great, that sounds amazing. I'm going to post it as a job. So I'm not going <laughs> to, and so, and take myself out of it. So, uh, he would, since, uh, for obviously personal reasons of context, Bruce Smith was also my high school coach. Oh, um, right. So, uh, important fact, but so I had to kind of repitch it, um, to, uh, a, you know, get hired like you, you would. Um, I would think I was the only sh person who showed up with a logic model. Um, but also it wasn't my, like, again, Katie, Katie, my wife, like was, I think in our third date, I was like, I'm going to go present this thing. And she's like, you want it to look like this. And she, she put it, helped me put that into a lot. So I would say she's essential to that too. Like another thing people don't know about probably. Um, but so it was a, it was a pipe dream of a thing. Um, I got laughed at up and down the Charles, the first fall I was mm -hmm. telling or promising people this was going to happen. Um, you know, it was, I was not given a, uh, it was a three-month contract mm -hmm. to prove to get people in butts and seats, and then maybe I might have a job. You know, that's how kind of it went. So, like I said, desperation is, is can help. And so, the real thing I think early on was the quality of person that bought into that idea. Yep. That that the, actually, you know, it may might not just be about taking the blade out and putting it in. Um, it might be about some other things if we're coming at it from a leadership perspective, especially when a, with a sport like ours, that's kind of suffered from some homogeneity problems. Um, and so I got, we got really cool people in the room um, and some people that have continued to be invested in the sport uh, who have graduated. You know, I hear amazing things about our graduates, um, the fellows as they've gone into the field and, and done and, you know, moved to leadership positions quickly. And so uh, that's just been really cool to watch. You know, I, I, to me, I was there as more of a TA than anything else, I was young and stupid, just in the right place in the right time, um, and given an opportunity. I sat, I put, pushed my desk in that room for three years, and got to walk, got to just soak it in um, as a kind of outside observer to the process, um, but also make sure nothing went wrong because things were always going wrong. <laughs> here's a funny. I don't think no. Here's a quick tidbit. Uh, in our second year, we got a cease and desist order from the state of Massachusetts uh, a week before Christmas. So because? I sent uh, because some it was some. Political nonsense. We don't need to go on what happened, but because we uh, somebody had complained to them that we had uh, offered ourselves up as a uh, graduate level degree program when we hadn't. Uh, we are very clear in our languaging and clear in all these things, and uh, so I had to prepare like this giant thing for the state of education, Department of Education. It took me months, and then in the last moments, it just took a political maneuver, and they said, "Ah, oh, no, you're fine." And, you know, so <laughs> 
but like like we were just putting out fires in the beginning and that's what we were you know i'll be honest that's i was a good fire uh putter outer um but then you know it, it was it was ready for it to be moved into once it was accredited um and it was a, a, a thing i was that was so exciting for me and what i was working towards and that's when katie and i uh, made our way to seattle so uh really excited to see what it does next and that's kind of next iteration um, because here's the really cool thing about it is that now a lot of the fellows have gone out, they've done things, learned this, they're actually coming back to help invest in it and um, will be a part of it and it's in the kind of, which is, I think, the critical component to its future success. So excited to see what they do. Fantastic. Now, out of that, you developed what you call a coaching model. Now, I know it probably isn't unique because there's good principles behind most coaching models, but perhaps we could just sit back. Can you tell us what is the coaching model that you endorse? Yeah, so I, like I said, I, I will rip everything off that if it's good, you know. So I'm specifically pursuing my understanding and and uh, uh, implementation of the long-term athlete development model, and I'm going to call it that. In the, in the United States, just this is—I swear to God, this is what they do out here. They are now calling it the American uh, coaching model. Uh, it's like it's like Freedom Fries. I don't know if you know. <laughs> I don't know about Freedom Fries. You know, but like here's the thing: like, so Freedom there's French fries, right? You call them French fries. Um, uh, yes, but don't worry US, about it. But but in the U.S., we don't like we don't like France, so we'll call them Freedom Fries, and and like it's a, it's our way of like. But it's, it's, it's that's what we do, and I, it blows my mind. I'm like, because in this case, when you take out the long-term athlete development from the name, you lose the meaning. And it's not just about something we're trying to do as a country. There's actually a general, there's a, and actually a long-term, like a this thing has been around for a decade now. It's just now that we're adopting it as a system here. Mm -hmm. So uh, there, it has a history, and there, and the history specifically is in the research, right? So um, I think very, it's the. You know the Queen's countries where these are coming from, like like uh, Canada, um, UK, Scott. I think there's a big, from what I remember, a big uh, uh, piece of it coming from Scotland, even. But the point being, this has been going on for a second, and um, it actually the first time I saw it was uh, the USOC's coaching conference, which US Rowing was not going to. I, I was there; they weren't. But the uh, the you could see this. It was about 2011, maybe, where they were like, "Hey, this thing we, we're going to do," and know hockey was on usa hockey was on it right away and a couple of other sports really picked it up um and it was being implemented across the usoc at that point um at all levels so i was picking so the things the strategies i picked from going to those things were from different sports because us rowing because rowing didn't even have it yet you know uh here's one thing that we do terribly teaching people how to row uh you think we would be something that we should be good at well, we do all internal body cues in, in, in our sport, in our country. We tell people to do this with your hands, do this with your body, do this with your legs, right? Legs, body, arms. We literally, that's our cues out here. When it would be much more effective to talk about the seat, the foot plate, the handle, external focus feedback, research-based instructional strategy and teaching how to pe people how to acquire a skill. Um, that's something that's just being adopted now in rowing. Uh, a few years back, I want to say it was two, when I was in San Diego at the US Rowing Conference, the USOC was lovely and sent somebody to teach us about external focus feedback. And the, the second half of the presentation was just rowing coaches lambasting this poor, this poor woman uh, about like how it's always been done. And it's like, oh, here we go. Um, rowing in the United States, how it's always been done. So that's the thing that I think is really different is, is taking a long-term approach to athlete development. I don't really care 
what their competitive outcomes are tomorrow. Yeah. I'm more interested in how do I keep them in sport for life? And because this is a sport that can. And we've done a terrible job. Everybody gets done with college. They're exhausted. They're broken, some of them. And they don't come back. And they've gotten their education. And they've gotten their leadership experience. They've gotten this, this great team experience. But they missed a lot of things because they were only focused on the outcomes. And so I, th I think that's something that our sport is learning from because we haven't grown it as a result. It's one of the earlier episodes I recorded last year was with Kath Bishop, who has written a book called The Long Win. If you haven't read it, mm. go get a copy in which she looks at business, yeah. sport and life and is very explicit about exactly the things that you're talking about. But she's tried to apply it in into different areas. And we dove into a lot of detail about specifically junior rowing, because mm -hmm. around the world, there is immensely competitive, fantastic racing opportunity for young people while they're in high school. And that also leads to some burnout. But it also has two consequences. One is the natural, I'm burnt out, I don't want to row in university. And the other is, I wasn't good enough because I was a late developer. And I didn't mm -hmm. feel that I had and achieved anything much because I didn't go to the big regatta but also there wasn't a second string regatta that I could go to where I could feel I could you know make my own mark at the level that I'm at and we had a really long discussion about there actually not being any answers clear yet do you have the same experience you know so you know we just do it's hard for me to kind of relate a lot to the rowing world at this moment because in this moment I'm just doing things that are just completely different you know singles all the day all day like I, I coach here's the thing uh in the year after the pandemic um like the from day one and whatever that was in June for 365 days I ran 771 different rowing sessions different practices that's impossible when you're doing eight since you know what I'm saying there's so many things but I was running low scale like five at a time this was in the midst of that pandemic mm -hmm. you got to do everything this way kind of thing and as the owner I could right I wasn't the employee so there's a some there's some this has allowed us to do things in a way where I've kind of disconnect like I just don't associate as well and here's the thing that we do all the time as a result because we I wouldn't ever not is we play a lot and what I mean is we go out without an objective we go out with a set of safety benchmarks and clear instructions on how to do these safely. Like, so we have a little thousand meter canal in Fremont where if, if for God forbid a kid even flipped, you could even stand up. It's an amazing little teaching. So there's a level of safety and comfort to the learner that they're able to kind of take risks and things. Um, so we do thousand meter chunks, take it, turn and cross, go do it and it breaks it up, gives their attention a rest. There's a really good, there's a lot of research behind all these things. And then, and then they tell me what they want to work on. And some of them just like, I just want to go out and paddle. And I go, great. You know what? Because they had a rough week. You know, like, because the kids now, you know, it's it's a thing. Uh, but that's playful. You know, we like, we go out and we splash. They stand up in their boats. They, they do things in a way I did not. Rowing to me was like a way for me to harness my attention in a way and like do work with people. And it was work, work, work. It was, it was Midwest winters. You know what I'm saying? It was a lot yeah. of time on the earth. Yeah. So uh, it was very different to me and, and in a way that was was extremely valuable. Uh, mm -hmm. But to, we've lost the, the sense of play in our sport. Okay. We, we, we don't we don't train. We, we train and we compete. Mm -hmm. I don't hear people playing. 
you know, and other sports. And in fact, in our sport, we don't play. We only row. You know, it's this, you know, how many t-shirts have I seen that kind of promote this level of misery? And to me, I'm not in it to be miserable. I actually experience an extreme sense of joy um, in, mm-hmm. in, the, in the natural surroundings that I have and the people I'm there with that, I, that I'm actually really grateful to give me the opportunity to do this. Yeah. And all that's lost when, when it's just embrace the suck or like the grind. And, you know, I don't, I don't relate to that. It's interesting the alignment between your description and my work, which is around master's rowing, which is adults who don't want to race 2K broadly. Mm-hmm. So some of them are racers, some of them are recreational, some of them are coastal, some of them are many different flavors. And what I notice and what we can do, particularly with people who are new to the sport, maybe in their 30s, 40s, 50s, is that actually that sense of play and discovery through sort of self-learning whether you're in a big boat actually or in a small boat that actually that's a lot of fun and there's a lot of satisfaction to be had with going coming off the water and going oh my I managed square blades today or Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that it went like that and that is great Yep. And you you said something in there, which I think is so crucial to our process, is that user-directed, that self-based learning, right? So where are you coming from as a, as a starting point, not an ending point? Um, and I learned so much as a coach. Every, like, every one of those days is massively different. And this is also very true of just me personally. I don't know how to row. Like, sure, I've sculled a little, I've done some things. Like, by that, I mean, like, I've paddled a couple times. This is true at CRI. The, uh, I was so desperate for work when I first got there. I, was the, I went from being a varsity head coach in Chicago to a middle school part-time coach to start off. So I was like, give me whatever. And I pushed my desk outside the door, and the program director came out, and he's like, hey, Matt, have you competed in sculling before? And I said, without lying, yes. Um, I had sculled, this is really true, twice in my life. Uh, to the start line of a heat and a, and then a final at Midwest Championships because somebody else needed a sub for a race. Otherwise, I'd never been in a, in a sculling boat. So I had sculled twice uh, and competed, by the way. So I didn't lie. And he's like, you're the new competitive head coach, sculling coach. I was like, great. <laughs> and, and so like that's that was my entry into sculling. Like, so I really, to me, I had to teach myself on the river. I, would, I had keys mm-hmm. to multiple boathouses. Um, I was so embarrassed that I would, do it about 8 p.m., 9 p.m. on Sundays, because even if other teams were out that I, I could avoid, I could never avoid all the coaches on the Charles, right? So I was too embarrassed. So I would, you know, flip my boat in the basin at 10 p.m. on a Sunday and have to get home. <laughs> so, you know, there was that learning process. But, you know, to me, like, I found, I, you know, teaching myself was something that I learned about, you know, self-directed learning. But also the singles, like, there's no other way, better teacher. The water's so honest, you know, it, it really doesn't respond to anything but the truth. So you've got you've got to learn it um, or, or you fail. And, and that's 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 another part of it. I just spent this past week teaching a bunch of people who are already in my club who can already scull in crew boats, but who've never done single sculling. Um, because the way we teach people is we teach people in mixed ability crew boats so that you will learn from people who are better than you but then you slowly you know move them into smaller boats and it was a delightful week for me uh mm-hmm. on so many levels uh one of which was one of my lovely students who has rowed for around three years who bear in mind we have a five-day program on day two 
three and four, she managed to put one of her oars in either the wrong side or the gate was backwards or mm -hmm. both of them or one of them. She basically did every possible variation. Yeah. And, you know, we all ended up laughing, but she got very, very good at working out how to back into the dock without assistance because the rest yeah. of us already cleared off. Good learning. But she learned the skill that she needed for her own personal style now, didn't she? She needed to learn how to back it in, you know? In, in, in terms with of the oar in the wrong place, yeah. you know, backing yeah. in with your gate backwards is yeah. very challenging. No but kidding. I, I had a very great video to share with her afterwards of a, a French former international mm -hmm. where he just goes out in the single and he's being filmed just playing around. He like has the oars upside down and he's doing racing starts. Mm -hmm. and he's sort of like switching one oar over and then trying to switch the other one over. And it, yeah. But it's, playing, yeah, right? But being playing. playful, but being playful. And it's just so important to to the human learner. You know, I think one of the things we do to kids in our country, you know, and I don't know if it's as bad with where you're at, but we just beat the curiosity out of them. And I get kids who who have to relearn that a little bit. You know, they're like, I should know this now. I'm like, should you? You know, um, maybe. I'm, I'm not saying you shouldn't. But 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 how about the process of finding out? Let's let's stay around there for a little bit longer, um, and follow your your curiosity as opposed. And we could get into that thing too. But you know the curiosity piece. If that drives everything around here, then they develop it themselves because they kind of have to a little bit. You know. That's right. You've got to be um, a bit self sufficient, haven't you? So tell me, you're you're critical of of teaching people to row in eights, and you know there are good practical reasons for doing that. For one, you know, coach athlete ratios and safety and all sorts of things. Um, I'm going to hand you a magic wand. What might you change that could improve the the way rowing is taught in America? Oh wow, um, magic wand! If I could get one of those. Here's the thing: is um, competitions. Right. Um, I would love thousand meter races, a lot more of them. Um, it, it's a lot more fun as a master's athlete to get five races in a day now, isn't it? Um, and not be dead to the world. We don't need eighth graders doing two case. We just don't. This is not unnecessary. You know, it would be better for them to line up to the docks four times and have to get into the starting docks four times. That's actually true. It would be much more beneficial to their long term like ability to race well. You know, it's Really funny watching the singles in the U.S. who maybe not race the singles as much back into the uh, starting That's gates at nationals yeah. is a little entertaining because some of them don't know what they're doing at nationals. Now, how much does that affect their race? A ton. They are in a different um, state of arousal when they are struggling to back into those things as mm -hmm. opposed to focus on the next moment, which is the start. So things, even things like that, I would love to see. And like, that's when you see like everybody, every, you know, white male my age or older just go oh no you're gonna change the distance on us and i'm like yes please change the distance so that people can get more experience have more fun right mm -hmm. uh be able to compete in more races i would love to see a a uh, mixed double become mm -hmm. at every competitive level um including the mm -hmm. olympics here's i think rowing has a unique opportunity at the olympics for the mixed double um, because it's the only sport where it makes sense almost for them to get in the boat together, right? Mm -hmm. One one woman, one man. Uh, mm -hmm. Could you imagine the two Kiwi singles hopping in a single against the two? What? How fun would that be? They've done their singles races. Whatever, it doesn't matter. Like, but but imagine what a if you want to talk about the Olympic movement, and then we could just claw one race back away from the like to the Olympics and get another one, right? So like, but I think there's a huge opportunity about 
and that redefines how we look at what competition is. Um, and I think if we look to religious at, at what uh, that means for every level, because that's mm. belonged to, like, uh, we want to meet the athlete at whatever the level they are developmentally um, to keep them around forever. Um, and that changes throughout the course of their athletic career. Their goals change, their life changes, you know, uh, being a master's athlete is, is a challenge, um, to do, to fit it into everyday life when you don't have somebody cooking all your meals for you and, and doing all your laundry, you know, uh, I get it, but, uh, I would love to see, um, systematically across the board, a, a change of how we approach competition. I think that would be very interesting. And uh, yeah, I, I, I can't help but say that's an exploration that I personally would be interested in, in diving into. Mixed double people... 2032. Okay, you and me. You have to get fit there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to make it. I'll be out. I'm out. I got, young, I got young ones coming up behind me. They'll take care of it. So true story. Uh, when the World Masters Games was announced that it was coming to New Zealand in, in 2017, I went to the son of one of our board members in the club who was um, just coming out of the national under 21 team. And uh, I asked him if he'd like to do, asked him first if he was going to be 27 in 2017. Mm -hmm. He gave me a very quizzical look. And then I said, would you like to do a mixed double with me? (laughs) I got accused of being a cougar. But actually, why not? Get pulled down the court by a strong young man. It'd be fun. I, you know, I wouldn't say no. Let, I mean, it didn't mm. happen. But hey, you know, I can dream. Indeed, Matt. If people want to find out more about your coaching model, long-term athlete development, where can they find information? You know, don't go to our website. I'll say I haven't touched that in about three years. Uh, just because we, we have all of our athletes. You know, we're kind of um, very focused on our community. But as a result, I'm really focused on getting their stories out, uh, you know, in my late age here, I've kind of pivoted to social media be- before owning my own business. I, you couldn't find me, um, on, on any of these things. Uh, but I've realized how important they were at conveying what we do to the parents and the families, mm-hmm. uh, because we, they don't get the opportunity to see what they do. And so it was a real practical actually decision like, Hey, they're investing a lot in what we do. They're paying a premium for a product for a lot of reasons. I really want them to understand how good it is out here, you know, um, how much we love what we do. And so that kind of, uh, and also I want to explain what makes us difference. You know, uh, being a family owned business is probably the thing that drives everything around here. Um, Cause this business has to survive um, our family. Like it has to be the thing that it's centered around. So we always talk about, we have like nine family values that are like in hierarchy and they drive everything. Th- those are actually on the website, I believe too. But the the big thing is that probably the Instagram, you know, I, I don't have the, we do have a TikTok. I just haven't figured TikTok out yet. And one of these days when the kids get older, I'll have to, like, I'll, I'll have to go find them, right? Like, that's the thing. That's where the mess, that's where the attention will be. But the Instagram's been really kind of powerful for us to get that message out because they can, there's something that, you know, we love in the, in the, uh, whether it's a photo or a video with some Pearl Jam in the background. <laughs> and then in the caption, I'm able to explain what we're doing um, a little bit um, or just throw the lyrics into the Pearl Jam song. It's literally one of those two things. Sometimes I'm busy. But uh, but yeah, I would say that's, and I'm using that as a platform to, to also, you know, voice some of the things I would hope we, we are able to have some impact in changing too. So uh, our parents are kind of aware of that. Um, you know, they've been around, 
you, you start with us early. We kind of, it takes a while for you to get to know us with, with the, uh, over time. And so that's, that's how we're able to bridge that kind of um, understanding divide. Cause I really think it's hard to understand what we do around here. What is the Instagram called? It's, it's at Seattle scholars. Yeah. Keep it simple. Um, and been like, it's been really interesting. Actually, we have a couple shout out to all, we have, I have like a handful of Kiwi coaches that actually um, have been really supportive, like have reached out to the DMs and all that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. uh, because I really think they, you know, the Kiwis do a great job with coaching philosophy and, and their development pathway. And so they, they see a lot of what they're doing in us, actually, which I take as a compliment. Well, that's really good to know. Um, Matt, it's been a delight having you on the show. Thank you so much for your insight, for your wonderful exploratory attitudes to the world around you and the situations that you come up against. Certainly for me, that's going to be a learning that I can take away. And uh, please, everybody, follow Matt and the Seattle Scholars on Instagram. I appreciate you, Rebecca. Thank you for your time. This has been Rowing Chat with me, Rebecca Caro, and till next time.